everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckman. I am speaking to Doc Searles, as usual. And I'm also speaking to Captain Bly, a.k.a. Dave Tott. Uh, and we're going to, you know, I'm going to hand it off to Doc, actually, because he's going to give us a little bit more of a rundown. But in the meantime, I wanted to remind everyone to visit us at reality2cast.com and check out our newsletter and check out our episode pages that will have all sorts of information and links and good stuff. So with that, um, Doc, why don't you take our introduction yeah, uh, a little bit further? I think my name is Doc Searles, as usual, by the way. I, I think I, it is. Yeah, it is now. My new last name is as usual. I have known uh, uh, Dave for many years, um, even recruited him once. This is a Linux Journal connection to be an editor-in-chief at Linux Journal. He's a great writer. He's a great thinker. But most importantly, he's a not just an activist in the sense that he cares about the subject and he agitates on behalf of it, but because he's actually done a lot of work. Uh, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, you may have heard about buffer bloat. Uh, in networks is because of, of of Dave's good work and his evangelism and, and his code writing, among other things, and his ability to mobilize with other people and so forth. So uh, it's a warm welcome for him. And also, by the way, uh, we've had him on the on the Floss Weekly podcast, which Catherine's also involved with as a co-host from time to time. And uh, I advise listening to that one as well, but I'd like to go beyond what we talked about there because time moves on. And that was a little while ago. This is now, and there are there are a lot of things on the on the table. I think, Dave, something that's always on the table is how is it that the the big companies and even the smaller ones that are either equipment providers or back end operators that we've entrusted the network and the care of are not helping us? <laughs> They're making it worse in some ways. So I kind of like to start up by asking you to kind of give us the state of the the net at the technical level now. I mean, what's, go, what's going on and we should be caring about, especially if we're not hearing about it, but we'll be hearing about it because I'm especially concerned about the stuff that, well, the bad thing already happened and there's nothing we can do about it. So what's going on? I am really hoping that this will be the year that we do finally make a huge step in fixing buffer bloat and improving internet responsiveness. Um, there's an upcoming IAB workshop, the Internet Architecture Board. This is the top level organization in charge of the internet, having a meeting about how to measure it properly and how to present it to end users in some way. So that's not quite an answer, but I want to say, please um, check out the proceedings of that and uh, try out some new tools Apple is putting out. But yeah. the larger deployment problem that we've had has been... I don't know, I just kind of take a small step back um, in that I first noticed that my network went to hell during uploads and downloads in Nicaragua in 2006. And I thought it was just me, but I came back to the rest of the world to discover that everyone's internet was behaving this way. And even worse, everyone was used to it. And I think in part, the fact that everyone is used to their internet misbehaving when you do major uploads and downloads, it's just supposed to be like that. So. It wasn't like that for me in the 90s. It wasn't like that for the old farts. And we've had two generations of netizens raised up to just think that that's how the internet really works. So while I don't mind beginning to point a finger at other organizations uh, for not moving forward with fixing it, it's partially user experience that is not driving adoption of a faster and more responsive internet. To move on to answering your question directly, so without user demand, informed user demand, um, that's a big problem. Um, the gamers certainly got this long ago. They call the buffer blood problem lag. Um, and with really complex infrastructures and complex technologies that take three to five to 10 years to roll out, you know, being able to predict what users will want in the future versus what they get now is also very difficult for those larger companies. Companies that are in smaller markets or competitive markets have adopted this stuff. Um, one of the first was free in France. They actually adopted it for their 3 million plus DSL user base three months after we developed the core algorithms, which was such a wonderful, encouraging thing. And at the time I thought, hey, I'll be done this job in a year and uh, I can go on to doing other stuff. And uh, boy, was I wrong. 
the same time, there's also a huge profit motive, a huge profit center. If something is a cost center for you, such as, hey, a user's complaining if their video conference went to hell. Well, there's so many possible other causal factors that, you know, you don't, you can't put it down to just the one thing. And I do truly believe that buffer bloat is the cause of so many basic networking issues today that if we just fixed it, people would, well, they just wouldn't notice that the network would just get silently better for them. But in terms of profit factors, once you have a technology that does demonstrably do such a better job of doing internet basis, all kinds of people leap on board to find some way of creating some sort of advantage for their company, their ISP, their, their service. And uh, that's one of the things I'm here to talk about today uh, as to what happens when you develop a technology that you think is fair and good and wonderful for everybody. And then it gets subverted into other goals. Yeah, well, you're talking about user experience. I think, you know, we had what, you know, 80, 100 years where everybody had a telephone and they kind of knew what a telephone sounded like. And, and our experience with that was um, if the connection was farther away and it required more circuitry between you and it, you're talking to Europe, you're talking to Japan, or if you're there, you're talking to North America or South America. You kind of expected it to sound like crap. Um, and you know it was going to cost you more. And there were there's all these, but but there was a, a kind of a first order bodily experience thing going on with that. With the internet, it we live in a world right now where we have what Bob Frank said long ago called ambient connectivity. We yeah. kind of presume connectivity, and then we presume, I think in most cases not. Except I think with streaming, I think people expect streaming now to be good. But they don't, they kind of put up with it when the Zoom call like this one or others have, you know, not one nine of reliability, but kind of like one five or one eight of reliability. And, and, and that's just part of the deal. And, and I think when in the case where you eliminate buffer bloat, I mean, I, I, I think something I learned from one of the calls with you, and it was actually from, um, I won't say who he was unless you want to tell us, but, uh, you know, an Apple, an Apple guy who's a, a pretty well-known and, and respected <laughs> technologist, that there's a site called FAST, F-A-S-T, like quick, but fast.com, that if you hit the thing that says, show us more and additional settings, it will, it will, it will provide a, a test that actually does test buffer bloat and doesn't make it all complicated. Like, um, for example, DSL reports uh, speed test does, which is good and kind of detailed, but FAST is much quicker. It works really quickly. It has no crap about it. And what I found when we just got a new place in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm in Santa Barbara right now uh, at our long-term home, but we're of a temporary one in Bloomington. And that's served by Comcast uh, through Xfinity. And I was very impressed that I'm getting, it's not just that I'm getting 400 down and 10 up. I'd like more than 10, but 10 seems to be adequate. But but there's no buffer bloat going on there. And uh, here I'm getting a little bit more up upstream, but there is some evidence of buffer bloat here. And this is Cox. And this is not to knock Cox. It's not bad. I mean, obviously, this is working out at the moment. But I'm not experienced because I, because I don't experience a problem in Bloomington doesn't mean I suddenly understood that buffer bloat is being defeated, right? So how... I, I don't, I'm not sure you have an answer for this, but I know you understand it technically. <laughs> so, Comcast but, has rolled out uh, an algorithm called Pi. It's an active queue management algorithm called Pi. It took eight years after we developed it to roll it out to all their subscribers. And they are the first cable ISP to do so. It works beautifully. I'm really, really happy with it. And uh, one of my other bugaboos is that they're afraid to talk about it because people get nervous about the term of active queue management. And I would like to somehow explain that this is a mandated requirement designed into the internet, internet starting in 1992 that we only got working in theory in 2012 and rolled out in Comcast network over the last, well, really over the last two years, but it took eight years to get to this point. I hope that all, I believe that with Comcast's innovation in this particular area that they, uh, all the other cable providers are within a single switch, single switch on their entire devices, most of their devices, that they can actually just turn it on 
and make their internets better for tens of millions of Americans. So when you say a single switch on, on their cable modems, like you, you can get an aftermarket cable modem. You have a, you can, an Aris or a Netgear or a whatever, but Comcast has the ability or Cox or, or AT&T or any of the others have the ability to throw that switch on theirs, on their remote, on their uh, customer premise uh, aftermarket yeah. devices. Yeah, that's a pretty good, big question, actually. Um, there has to be testing that has to get done on all the aftermarket stuff. So certainly Comcast in particular rolled out their stuff on just the modems they controlled originally. Um, I worry sometimes that's gonna just, that's gonna remain the case or may still be the case. I haven't gone and measured it. It's sort of like, well, there's a problem, a long known issue with uh, high quality voice calls from third-party phones where their providers are only providing the highest quality for the phones they sell. And I, uh, I hope very much that they uh, do the testing, they ensure that the third parties have it enabled and that it goes on for absolutely everybody. Um, but I don't know if that's the case currently. So, so I'm, I'm looking actually at, at a, uh, a Comcast Xfinity page um, and uh, somebody's asking about an Aris um, particular one, but I could see, and the, the, this is for the listeners uh, that what we're talking about here is active queue management, which is AQM. And there's a standard apparently, it's called Doxis. We already know about Doxis, most of us do, but that's the, that's the, cable, that's the cable standard. You get a Doxis, you know, it used to be you got a Doxis 2.0 modem, then a 2.1 and a, a 3.0 and a 3.1. I just bought a 3.11 it and I got it at a, the nearby Best Buy, and apparently that has it, and it's it's Doxis Pi PIE AQM for Active Queue Management. And I, I guess some, I have an Aris. Somebody's asking about an Aris, but when I talked to Xfinity before I bought this, I actually called them up, and they said, "Well, you can get any Doxis 3.1 modem, and it'll work with us." So maybe that's maybe maybe all of the major makers have moved that far. Um, I hope so. Um, that we baked the, this Pi AQM and alternate AQMs are baked. It's a mandatory requirement in the DOCSIS 3.1 standard, which I contributed to. So mm -hmm. all the manufacturers are required to have this algorithm in there. However, it didn't actually work in more than a few cases. Uh, and it's taken a while to flush those or fix those in the marketplace. Um, Comcast uh, just published a study showing... Um, it's a 14 pager. It's really hard to read and uh, published a study showing that they had a non-working Pi implementation in a DOCSIS 3.1 modem and a working one in a competing modem, and they were shipping both. So they were able to more or less accidentally do the research to show the before and after simultaneously of these two different devices. That paper is so technical that I hate to inflict it on your readers, but uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a chart on page 14 that shows a reduction, eight, eight to 16 fold reductions in latency that uh, is purest internet porn from my perspective. Well, I, I was going to say, well, there's a, a couple of takeaways here. One is, um, and I think a big one is that um, uh, for those of us, you and I both, and I'm sure Catherine as well, just have been crapping on cable companies for a thousand years. And here's a, some, a good thing that's happened with one of the cable companies, which may be the biggest one. I don't know if Comcast is the biggest or not, but uh, uh, they're certainly up there. And, uh, and it's nice to hear a positive thing. And I think we both know the same person at, at Comcast by coincidence. Uh, I would love to see their head of research show up on your show. He's a marvelous man is, uh, at the very tippity top of the internet. He cares. And it's nice to know that somebody could dedicate so much time and effort to making a change this big against incredible technical and political obstacles. I have a lot of reasons like everyone else to dislike all the ISPs, not just the cable ones. But uh, in this particular case, I, you know, I have to take my hat off to what they've done to make the internet better for the users. And uh, so have them on your show if you can. I don't know if we'll be able to talk as freely as I do. But we were talking earlier today and, um, and you mentioned that there's a, um, there's a, son, you sent me something on it. It was really complicated looking, but, but the worry here, if I could jump on it and say that uh, for all the good things cable companies are doing, they're, they're also in a position of 
of such power that if they decide that they want to change the way the internet works for their own purposes, they could do it. Um, and we're at risk of that. Is that correct? That is, yes. And that is such a deeply complicated issue. This is probably the first time I've ever even tried to talk about it in public. I, uh, I've, okay, so let's, uh, I'm trying to make it simple, kind of close to an animal farm analogy, you know, um, mm -hmm. big buffers, bad, AQM good. And um, the technologies that we developed to, to make the internet so much less latent and so much more responsive are network neutral. They are, in fact, the algorithm that I had the biggest hand in developing, um, I call it, it's called FQ Coddle. It's actually almost a Horatio Algerian in, in scope. It gives this first packet, the smallest packet, the little guy, just a little bit of boost until it achieves parity with the big stuff from Netflix and Google, et cetera. And it's also pretty much the universal standard in Linux today, as well as in uh, iOS and OS X. And quickly, how, how is it spelled? What is what is it? Uh, FQ only audio here. Uh, FQ what? underscore Coddle. It's also RFC eighty two ninety. The the RFC eighty two eighty nine is the Coddle algorithm, and uh, between those two, we knocked it out of the park in terms of reducing latencies across the internet by even better than what we did with Pi. Um, Pi is a simpler, pure AQM algorithm. Um, and th there's serious technical differences uh, in how they operate. And I don't even know where to start in getting lost in that maze. I prefer to try to, to talk about the political mess that I see coming down the line. Um, should I do that one or why? Oh, I love that? political messes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope our listeners do, but I always enjoy political well, messes. Well, as an engineer and a technologist um, and someone that's been around the internet since the very beginning and had design principles like you should be able to connect to a machine in Russia and talk directly to someone there, or you should be able to connect over a satellite network. And there should be no penalties to do so. It should be unfettered. And uh, felt really strongly that the in native fairness of how everybody had an IP address and everybody could talk to everybody else it was just baked in. Now that's been gradually lost with the rise of things like NAT and stuff like that to where people connect to the cloud. They connect to the closest machine possible. There's a server, there's a toll, toll booth put up by somebody and it's not, you know, like our conversation today is going through an intermediate third party where my my and many other people's original conception of the internet is that all of us will be talking directly to each other without that third box in the way uh, in the middle, uh, the middle box. And um, despite that being kind of at the root of my own philosophy, what's for the internet should be about, we've been moving away from that. So, okay, so in developing these algorithms, we, in developing TCP, we try really hard to have it work for connections near and far and be fair. Fairness is just deeply embedded into the internet um, and into everything we did. It made perfect sense to try to be fair at distances near and far. And during the development of the Pi and especially the FQ call, and there's a couple other algorithms like Cake, et cetera, that we've developed, fairness was built in as much as we possibly could. We wanted to be able to still enable those original personal um, parts of the internet. Thing was, is that so nobody wants to be fair. Uh, that is in a mar market position, they wanna somehow achieve market dominance in whatever they're doing. And uh, justice, ha, I have a Socratic question for you. Anyway, so we developed these beautiful technologies across the internet as uh, original protocols. We said, yes, these are universally good. And everybody at techno technologists believes these things are universally good. And uh, we are trying to roll them out. They're in billions of boxes, except where they're really, really the most needed. And they're ready to be turned on, particularly in the cable industry. The thing was, is that they're fair. There's one effort that's been going on now for over six years sponsored primarily by cable labs and a few other companies that have a interest in uh, weeding the internet in their direction. And I've been fighting this one for over 10 years now, and I just possibly lost the final battle in an organization called the IETF, um, which is the standards body that controls uh, the future of the internet. And um, this is a 
standard that does one thing that people really want. It does lossless networking. And I'm curious, what does lossless networking mean to you guys and possibly to your audience? To me, I have no mean- idea. <laughs> That's part of the problem, I think. Uh, uh, problem. Yeah. The, uh, the network neutrality argument is that you should be fair to everything. And the other argument is a lot of people think that losing packets, dropping a packet is bad. One of the first things we counter with the buffer bullet effort is everyone thought that losing a packet was bad. So we would just buffer them up sometimes for tens or hundreds of hundreds of milliseconds, sometimes even seconds, because dropping a packet was bad. And people didn't get, a lot more people get it now, that packet losing a packet now and then is actually required for the internet's health uh, and stability. We, dropping a packet is a signal to tell the sender to slow down and stop filling up the buffers. And I have had, you know, I was called a heretic back in the beginning, you know, packet loss is good. And, and uh, it's less of a heresy now, but it's the truth. It's a fundamental truth of how the internet operates. We are supposed to drop packets. However, the contingent that really, really thinks that dropping packets is bad um, looked into a technology called explicit congestion notification, ECN. And what that does is it uses two bits in the IP header, the universal underlying data standard of the internet. And again, feel free to stop me at any point when I start getting too geeky. Um, That allows a packet to signal, hey, you don't have to drop me. You can mark me and I will tell the other side to slow down. And the other side, if it's written properly, you say, aha, I got a marked packet. I should slow down by this amount and it will have the same effect as a drop. This was a battle fought over about, started in 1986 with a fellow by the name of KK. It's wonderful to talk to you, by the way, as to how we should do congestion notification without losing packets over the internet. And it ended up in a standard developed in 19, sorry, in 2002. Uh, Sally Floyd, who's an unsung hero of the internet, like so many, uh, was instrumental in negotiating a universally accepted means of saying, yes, a, a marked packet is exactly equivalent to a dropped packet. And the response to seeing a marked packet for all protocols by mutual agreement, by absolutely everybody writing code should be to roughly drop the rate in half, which is a mathematically stable thing and uh, so on. The hysterical thing is that once they developed a standard and tried to deploy it, one is the AQM algorithm called RED by Van Jacobson didn't work good enough. And uh, so we had a signaling mechanism designed. It looked like it was going to work and an AQM that designed for it that didn't. And even worse, when they first tried to deploy ECN uh, in any scale, it crashed routers, flipping that, changing the state of those two bits on the path would crash devices. So this mechanism has been built into every single operating system we have. It's a single line to turn on, but it was disabled and left idle up until the development of the FQ Cottle and Pi algorithms in the 2011 timeframe. I've kind of begun to set the stage for, for, for what's been happening in the 10 years since. Got any questions so far? I think I do. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, so you, you, you clearly have, you have a cause here, right? Um, I'm wondering how, to, to what degree you can um, bring security concerns into the conversation or in order to further your cause. Hmm. All right, let's take a, a slight step back. These two bits were reserved by everybody for ECN notifications. It was actually designed into it was something that we felt would make it a little bit more secure. Um, we call It's called a nonce. I forget the standard's name, but basically you are allowed to, to change the state of two of, the, of, of those two bits randomly along the path. So you wouldn't leak the actual information about um, the kind of congestion the other side was experiencing. Um, the security question is is much bigger and broader than that, and I there's a couple papers on it. Um, it's one of those things where do we care if we know the other side is congesting or not? And the answer is yeah, but we can find that out via half dozen other methods like seeing packet drops, the DDoS attacks. Um, so overall, I think the security concerns with ECN were a little bit overthought. Um, but it is entirely feasible that 
we weren't. We won't, we won't find out until someone does something really horribly bad to the internet. Uh, you know, I lose a lot of sleep. Uh, I, I am in the end, this is this guy that helped invent an algorithm that's running on billions of devices, including probably the ones you guys are running today. So every single piece of data on the internet is going through something that I helped design. And I made two mistakes along the way, and I don't know how to fix them because I don't know what the correct answers are. So I'm is that close enough for answering your security question, Catherine? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. So it's definitely in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, my insecurity is having possibly made a mistake and waking up in the middle of the night uh, and figuring out how to call back several billion boxes. Uh, no, I, I can understand that. I mean, it's, you know, I feel the concern that is basically, you don't, the, it's, the, it's the fear of the unknown. You don't know, you're, you're not going to discover the problem until somebody, until oh, I don't know a nice to way to put this, but, you know, shoves it anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the job and the nightmares do not pay well. You know, I, uh, I don't know how much money I could possibly make in order to get the kind of sleep I would like to get. Um, I do frantically, like for example, I'm working with 10 grad students in India uh, to prove out some aspects of VCN that haven't been proven. Um, my biggest mistake from my sleeping perspective was actually enabling ECN. Um, packet drop, FQCODL, everything else that ended up in RFC 8290 just works. It's beautiful. The ECN component was kind of experimental and it's taken some deployment and some testing to point out some of the flaws. And I have told places like Cloudflare to absolutely turn ECN processing off on their implementations. And I hope that the existing protection mechanisms we have or had for lossless networking uh, are sufficient. Um, well, just to be clear, uh, I wanna get our, our initialisms or acronyms, call it either sure. Um, uh, correct. ECN is explicit congestion notification. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And this is this is baked into one of the internet internet standards that are that the world is using. And um, and there it's, it is. It's, well, it's baked into every version of, T, of TCP we have on every platform. Part of the TCP standard. So every platform we have today, you, you, if you're running a Linux box or an Apple box, Doc. Uh, well, I'm running a couple of things, but this, what I'm talking to you right now on is a Mac. So you can turn it off. It's not on by default. It's actually, it is on by default, but only for certain subsets of connections. Um, so you can, you are actually using ECN today. And so far you haven't noticed, um, which is cool. And um, you can make it be on for all connections via single command line. And Apple would like to turn it on for absolutely everything. Uh, because hey, losing a packet is bad, and we think the responses to it are adequate. And you know, let's just go experiment on the whole internet and see if we're correct on that. Um, people doing experiments at Apple or Google scale do also cost me sleep and make me run around having students do simulations, etc., in the hope that we really did get it right. But uh, so I, I want to get back to the I forget even what the initialism is, but whatever it is that the that some of the bigs want to do to make the internet theirs and not ours. Okay. And, so and, is... and what people could do to care about it and where they would look to. Yeah. I sometimes call this the battle of the bit. A fight over the future of the internet based on the value of one bit and the universally accepted IP header protocol, the whole thing. The battle of the bit. There's an article in LWN. If you look for uh, congestion notification conflict, you can see the beginning of the current battle, but it goes back a lot further. <sighs> so that particular effort is called L4S. And it has uh, got really, really tremendously great marketing. I shared with you both a document that the currently losing side, which is mine, um, has shared about the technical flaws of these changes to ECN's handling that these folk want to enforce upon the internet. Got to take a small step back and try to explain, uh, I think, uh, there's four possible values for two bits. No bit set means drop this packet for congestion control. 
what's called ECT0 means, hey, uh, I uh, will respond to a congestion notification. ECT1 was defined to be the same because we had the nonce idea where we could change these two, fiddle these two bits to obscure the security information. And both the bit sets means congestion experienced, saying, aha, you should drop the rate by roughly half in order to uh, keep your network from bloating up. That other value, that ECT1 value, is what the whole debate has been about for about a six years now. There's a group that thinks that we should change all the AQM technology in the world, including mine, and, uh, and say, aha, we're going to actually change the state if you use that bit. And then it convert it to a CE. When you see a, a convention experience thing, you should just reduce the rate by a little bit. But with an AQM that will mark packets more often, um, it will reduce it by a little bit over the course of many packets. So if you have a dozen packets that have this marking, they'll reduce it by a little bit. And you know that it's a gloriously, beautifully desirable idea. Don't lose packets. Don't slow the rate down by half. Theoretically, it's sexy as hell. And it doesn't work. And when you do try to apply it, the technical data is so detailed, so complicated that it's... Let me just try to explain what the after effects are. If this has been baked into a standard as propagated by cable apps primarily, but also other companies in the 5G market are into, and baked into the DOCSIS 4.0 spec in secret, so this is a successor to DOCSIS, and then they announced that they're going to change how the CE bits are treated and use this other bit up that everybody else uses, and then they went to the IETF afterwards and said, oh, by the way, international standards body for the future of the internet, this is what we just did. And uh, we want you to bless it because it's really not really network neutral and stuff um, you know, under the thing here. But here's all those wonderful things it could do. And uh, I helped put a stop to it. Look for LWN congestion. It was, it was going to get just rubber stamps. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have it. I put it in our chat, the congestion um, notification conflict. Yeah. Jonathan Corbett wrote it in March of 2019. Yeah. Um, Again, it also mentions a, uh, a patent issue where Alcatel has a patent. They're willing to um, let it be the, used, but it conflicts with the GPL and stuff uh, like that. The patent issue has been largely resolved, um, I think, oh, good. this week. Uh, but for all, I'm not going to touch the patent issue. I don't deal with that one. It was getting to where I could say, whoa, or that's what became the SCE team could say, whoa. Let's get some data on this because they were writing internet drafts, which are supposed to be networking documents and marketees talking about mm -hmm. all the wonderful benefits about how you would get low loss, low, low latency, high throughput, all the possible things you could possibly get. And you, nobody with a technical background could read those and actually believe them. Uh, so by pulling that stunt, that was one of the, more outrageous things I've done in my life. I'm, I'm an engineer. I don't do politics very well. Uh, we came up with a better idea, which is called some congestion experience. And we then DDoSed every committee in the IATF to, to put a stop to the, the rubber stamp of this in the IATF. In part, because this is a better idea. And in part, because we had no real data, no open benchmarks, no repeatable. All we had was the claim that this was going to be the world's greatest improvement that networking ever existed. And, uh, Oh boy. So um, let me just kind of a little bit lost my thread on that one. Um, that was one of the most, I, I spent like six months on a beach in Barcelona after doing that, after stopping that idea flat long enough to help assemble a team and funding to take a good independent red team approach into the actual claims of the L4S continues for the actual effects. And I can finally after 45 minutes, try to get to what the actual effects are. The effects were this form of new form of networking, widely adopted. It is very biased to short round trip times, meaning that it's optimized for connections to your ISP. The further away you get, the less likelihood your connection will be good. Also baked into the standard, is that they are going to take the existing known and fair pi algorithm and give 
I think it's, don't quote me, it's well over half. It could be as much as 15 sixteenths of the bandwidth of this new form of traffic, which again is optimized to talk to their stuff. Um, they didn't go into what happens if this kind of traffic escapes the ISP and enters a tunnel, where it turns out that if you slam it through a tunnel, it uses the old standard, which is again, the default for the world today obliterates it. So even outside of the ISPs network, they get a, a fast lane, a fast lane for all their traffic and everything else suffers. There's a good dozen other side effects that are covered in the reports um, that the technical reports that we filed in this particular subcommittee uh, and they have been ignored. Uh, and written out with new speak, double speak, and all kinds of other things that have been really hard on just about everybody that has a technical background and cares about the long-term health and future of the internet. So this is a, um, I, th I think the easy way to put it then is that this is a, this is a, this is pavement for the fast lane on the internet that the car that certain carriers get to privilege themselves with. Is that right? Yeah. And people that they will do a deal with. Um, and uh, so. Oh, oh, great. So the content distribution networks, the, the, the big streamers, all those people putting local cloud into the 5G setups um, as close to you as possible. Um, those guys. Is yeah. that close enough to correct? Yes, that is close enough to correct. But, but it will, and it will disadvantage everybody basically having ordinary conversations at a physical distance or at a, at a or using, you know, using any conventional deployed internet technology that we have today. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a benefit to the early big corporate adopters um, as well as, um, but it disadvantages all the other forms of internet traffic we have today and all in the name. Again, th this technology does also effectively reduce buffer bloat. And it will be better for a while, but only for some. So, all right. So, so you're saying it's sort of failing in committee. These are committees at the ITF at the at the what? Uh, I didn't say it was sort of failing in committee. Uh, we just had a vote about finished the vote a week ago. Fifty odd vendors that have already built hardware based on this standard all voted in favor, and the group that. Uh, that the SCE team, I'm actually not officially part of the SCE team. They're the, the red team. They have a different idea that we do believe would work better. I'm actually kind of opposed to the use of ECN at all across the general internet. Um, it's just, it's, it's dangerous in other ways. Uh, I'm trying to find where my our call is. Did you put in, this is the descent. It's very, very technical um, from them. You know, and having mostly lost in committee, there's some weasel words about the outcome of the vote by the chairs. And, uh, you know, it is the, the, the IETF doesn't operate on a strict vote, a 50 to 10 vote, I think, what it was, does not mean that we lost, it doesn't mean that we won, it doesn't mean that we stalled out, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a rubber stamp. Nobody really knows what it means, aside from that the, the documents written for this are beautifully clear as to how it all works and what the plan is. It's just that the implementation doesn't line up with, with the claims made by the proponents. Um, I don't know how to, it's really, really difficult to argue with these guys. These, these guys made me um, go, have you ever heard of Ed Bernays? Yeah, B-E-R-N-A-Y-S to be yeah. clear. What do you know about him? I mean, I'm just curious because I, I not enough. Uh, oh, 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 he's well, he's the guy who uh, he's the father of PR, basically. Yes, he's the guy who uh, got women to smoke, and you know, they sort of famously one of yeah, the most stuff like logically that. evil people that has ever existed. Mm -hmm. He documented all the stuff that he did, and managed to, like, for example, get America into World War One. Uh, he did it really amazing. And it's all laid out there. He coined the word propaganda. Yeah. Um, and because of this entire effort, I went and read his entire work so I could try mm -hmm. to recognize when the techniques were being used on me uh, and, and the group of people I work with. I'm just a goddamn engineer. And he lived to 103. <laughs> so is a, a character. Did he smoke? I don't think he probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing he didn't. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. So 
All right. So I did uh, finally manage to get to talking about, you know, lossless, uh, finally talking about, yay, buffer bloat, fixed, ready to put the fixes on with a single switch. And right behind it is all this stuff that's been tacked on that just physically, mentally hurts the, my conception of what the internet should look like. It's really hard to be a, a leader of a revolution betrayed in this way. Uh, I sometimes think about the, um, you know, the Russian revolution, for example, the original one overthrew the Tsar in a losing war. It's a popular revolution. And then the, so the Bolsheviks that took over a year later Mm -hmm. And uh, in Nicaragua, they ousted uh, Somoza as an awful, petty, anti-popular revolution. A year later, mm -hmm. the Sandinistas took over. And that's sometimes how I feel is that, you know, if I can talk up to the network neutrality folk, how great AQM and FQ Cuddle are, buffer bloats solved, and find some way to push back against this, this L4S plan to keep them at bay, long enough to just flip the switch for tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people to just get the 99.9999% improvement that we get on the internet, um, it would be great. Um, but I, uh, I'm just a bloody engineer that looks at data and <sighs> what do you do doc um well you do what you're doing now i mean you, you, you just keep pushing out there i mean and and uh yeah. I, I just added uh i just put it in our private chat here but we can publish it if it's the right thing this is the thing written in 2019 yeah that was the original you. proposal it's been refined and I want more people to look at the data and boy, it takes, you know, a degree to look at the data. There's another uh, on heist. Is that, is that mine? Um, heist P let me give you one more good link. And again, go looking for L4S and read the drafts. If you can, with a really good and skeptical thought. Um, and uh, you know, it's we haven't lost yet um, and we haven't won and and the whole world is is waiting for us to just start flipping the switch um, of, of making the internet better for everybody uh, without all this extra stuff, if at all possible. Here's one of the technical reports that they did uh, for the chat. Uh, let me go find your chat here. And again, uh, I, this is the first time I've given so many talks about how congestion control should really work and how FQ Coddle works and how all this other stuff works and demonstrated the benefit many, many times. Um, and this is the very first time I've managed to talk even slightly coherently about how ECN should work. I, I shared with you a private document and trying to explain it at some level to the general public that we are on the verge of an internet revolution and I would like there to not be too. Well, I know I put something in the chat, but um, yes, that's one. The L4S ops document actually didn't come up for discussion. Um, this time, there were three other documents uh, discussed, which detail the uh, the dual pi algorithm. The dual pi algorithm clearly documents the clearly documents their intent to prioritize their form of traffic over uh, normal traffic. They even use new words. They call old traffic classic traffic. Normal traffic, really? thank you. Oh, Old traffic yeah. and, and what traffic? What are the two traffics? Uh, it's normal. It's classic. It's classic traffic is one of the phrases that they use, and I, which is normal. And then the other one is, you know, I haven't read the documents this month. Um, they may have used some other marketing term. Um, my encouragement is to have a copy of Kafka handy and go read the dual pie document in particular. Yeah. Um, so I think the new is the new low latency, low loss scalable throughput, which is L4S. Yeah. And, 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 and that's seen as a, a superior flows to classic ECN over a classic ECN bottleneck link. I'm reading their thing. So, but what, what the, again, for, for listeners, what this translates to is this is, Cable Labs, as Cable Labs wrote that one, a guy named White at that place. Um, cable Labs is where Doxus was baked. It's where your cable standard for getting on and off the internet uh, op, uh, applies. And, but this is, but this, this mucks with TCP itself by, by basically biasing traffic, biasing flow to this new thing that basically advantages them. Pretty good summary. 
Yeah, I'm sitting okay. here trying to find a more general link um, for the IETF stuff. Um, IETF, TSVWG, one of the other, you know, again, there's a lot of politics here. I used to be in what's called the AQM working group. We shut it down to kick these people out. And then they found this other working group operating in secret and, uh, <clears throat> and then introduced this stuff without really telling anybody what the plans were. Um, the dual pie thing, the code for it is actually beautiful and correct. It's very limited. It's definitely an example implementation that doesn't have any of the benefits that we've had of the eight years of FQCOTL deployment. It's, it's got, it, the code is just a toy implementation. Here's the stuff. And, uh, and no one in their right mind in the Linux world would turn it on, um, which is good. Now, once I get out of the IETF and into the Linux world, I think I'm in pretty good shape. Nobody in their right mind is going to, is going to take this stuff. So if I ever get, you know, so long as Dave Miller doesn't die and other core people in the Linux community don't die, this is going to still remain a very limited attempt to take over the internet uh, by a limited number of vendors, which does include Google and does include Apple presently. Um, and Google and Apple are, are on which side of this thing? I, I'm not they're, clear. They're, oh, they're, they're, Google and Apple and Broadcom in particular are really the biggest companies involved in addition to cable apps as well as Nokia. It's a pretty long list of, of, of companies involved in this. Um, yeah, this is a, it, it, the network neutrality debate is kind of old. I don't know if you remember like how it turned out. It was like 17 million comments to the FCC. And it turns out that like 8 million were fabricated on the one side by a college student. And 7 million were fabricated on the other side by a whole bunch of PR agencies. And so yeah. like a couple million genuine comments tops. Uh, Google is finally in this particular case, you know, again, it's just a technical debate over the value of a single bit. And the universal IP header has essentially flip sides. They built out since the original network neutrality debates, they built out their own network and they have certainly have enough clout to cut whatever deal they want with any ISP around. And uh, so they're in the catbird seat now. But, but, but so we're clear, Apple and Google are on the side of making LCS happen. L4S. L4S. Yes. L4S. yes. Yeah. Okay. Just, I want to be clear yeah. about that. Again, this is still marketing. You know, the people that are on the side are not necessarily the technical people. Um, there's people that say, aha, the marketing looks really great. Let's do this. And there's a lot of the, the technical people that have looked at this, um, and the data and they said, mm, wait a minute. So I don't know. It's, it's so many possible other analogies I could make, uh, as to where this might go. It may, um, Dave Reed, for example, cheered me up today. Dave Reed's the founder of the end to end argument, right? And yeah, and uh, and UDP, and he was and, originally uh, very, very much involved in the uh, SCE effort, but he gradually dropped out because he came to the conclusion that maybe just like like hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on spent on multicast, that um, adoption rates of this stuff will be so low, and the effectivity and it doesn't really work. There's people testing this stuff, and even what they even the simplest stuff that they claim will work doesn't. Um, it's supposed to kick out flows that are not behaving by the rules, and it kicks out way too many of them, including things like FaceTime, which didn't make certain people there happy. So it's entirely possible that this complicated evolution of a standard burning up the last bit in the header, well will fail and the internet will just keep motoring along. So, so, so yeah, so in other words, it'll be implemented to some degree. And a lot of people start noticing, people even working at Apple, hey, wait a minute, FaceTime's screwed up. Yeah, they may end up falling back on something else. Uh, mm -hmm. I, this is because of all the heart and energy and stuff that has been expended on both sides, I'll get concede them that, does not mean that, you know, the, the sky is gonna fall. It's the, uh, it's that so much, I, I, I really believe that, that I, I believe that the actual deployment, the benefit to all of America and everyone behind a cable one has been held up by this attempt at, change, at standard when all they could do to make everybody's life better at home, the COVID crisis would be to flip a single switch in the router and then the head end, the cable head end. 
And wow, video conferencing would become smoother for everybody. Families would interoperate better. And it's held up by the really perverse desire to get the benefit, to get the blessing of an independent standards body to let them implement their ancient and evil plan to split the network into a fast and a slow lane. That is the great pull quote. Um, and the one, so to review, the one switch that we get flipped is, what's the label on that switch? Well, basically it's a configuration file. You say, turn Pi on. And the, the, the bad one is, again, I dual Pi. So for example, dual Pi is just Pi with a specialized queue for the other kind of traffic. So it's, a, it's called a classifier. If, if they turn it on in their existing distribution without turning on the classifier, they get enormous benefits for classic normal traffic. God, what it would take to just get them to turn it on. I just turn that much on and then see if anyone cares about the other part. <sighs> and uh, uh. <laughs> thanks for having well, me. Well, that, that may not be a bad place to, to, to start wrapping. Um, yeah. So, so there, there, there may be a break point here, but let me, let me bring up one more thing and you can tell us not, we're not going to talk about that if you want. Um, and that is Starlink. Um, ah, Star, Starlink is Starlink is this thing that with it, that, that um, uh, Elon Musk and friends put up in the sky. Uh, it's, it's up there. It is, has great promise to, um, um, make the internet available all over the place, uh, you know, much more cheaply than it was before. I mean, I'm talking about people I know who live in rural areas that have no cell, no cable, no LTE, nothing. And, and, but they can put one of these things out on their lawn and it's looking at the sky and they get a real internet. And I don't even know how they get low latency on that. Cause it seems to be like the sky <laughs> is not that, not that nearby. Um, you know, the lower orbit is still, not that close and on top of that it's got to get back down to the ground somewhere how is it how is it being handed off between all these satellites i don't know i'm taking it on faith that they've got a way to work that out but i know that you have a something that's good for them if they want to implement it because <laughs> yeah, you do that i appreciate doing the update uh, on that one i did a, i really enjoyed that podcast with you what was that back in mid-july yeah. Um, where I, I had discovered that they had completely built a, they'd taken a nine year old version of OpenWRT without all of our buffer load fixes, notably FQ Cuddle, and they'd shipped Open it. OpenWRT is what? Just so people listen. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the version of Linux and the router distribution that they seem to have used for both the Dishy and the router that they use. And, okay, got it. Um, okay. The Dish and the router. Yeah. Uh, use this, and, and it's an old version. It's a nine year old version where they should be using a new one. You, right. you put his stuff on the internet. You got to keep up. You got to be within at least a couple years of the Linux kernel, at mm -hmm. least. And uh, they didn't. Now, look, they're struggling as hard as they can to build a new service. I'm totally willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And my how I got to them was a really entertaining story. And what I recommended to them is that they put cake on the dishy. Um, cake is the uh, super yeah, duper successor to. So the FQ Kyle algorithm is really is better than Pi. A cake is the successor to that um, a related thing called smart queue management. It's we built smart queue management out of a whole bunch of glued together shell scripts and FQ coddle. And then we said, screw that, rewrote the whole thing and see, and added a couple of really cool new features and called it cake. And uh, we even cake is so simple for an ISP configure. It takes one line of configuration to turn on just one. And you can actually make that be the default. So you don't have to do anything. You just compile it in. And, uh, and they, because they're running so far behind in kernels, they, they didn't have that. And so I was pretty shocked about that. And I, I have a great hope because they, I did have a really good meeting with them and they really seem to get it. They just have a lot on their plate that they'll adopt something. It's entirely possible that they'll go in and, and say, aha, L4S sounds good. Let's do that. And, you know, if that's what happens, that would happen. But Boy, um, if I could just get them to, to try cake on the dishy, or if I could get a cross compiler uh, for the dishy, I could make that thing sing. The, the, the dishy is 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 their dish. What is that? Yeah, the dish that points at the sky. Is, That's is, what I thought. Okay, and is, is it? Yeah. It carries that diminutive. It's called the dishy, and not just the dish. Yeah, they, they call it dishy McFlatface. 
I love their near lack of marketing department. They, they're, they're funny I, I, and, they, and, and people okay. are willing to laugh along with them. So if we could put cake on the dishy, and I would gladly help them do this at this point for free, I wouldn't have minded if they wrote me a check for it. Boy, they'd have an example to show the world that would actually outperform, in my mind, in, in a year or so. You're a DSL network for sure, and many cable networks, all the cable networks in the world besides Comcast. And even then, the cake algorithm would be so good. And I, you know, yes, I'm one of the authors of cake, but if you're a little looking for the phrase SQM and Eero or the phrase SQM and the word, you'll look at this, it's a piece of code that is universally loved by the user community, universally. And I'm so proud to have been a part of that. And I would so love to actually know that that was going to be running and and, and and something else it was you know the comcast problem was that they had millions of devices and hundreds of different kinds of devices they currently only have three and uh to me it sounded like it was a couple days of work um so i haven't heard much back from them we started a new mailing list uh, for them we got all kinds of great people on it it's called starlink at List at bufferblood.net and we have yeah i'm on that i'm on it it's yeah. good yeah people can get on i mean that's one reason we're here right now is because of that and wow. uh so we have some and, awesome and the calls that you have that i sometimes show up at that's really awesome i didn't know you were on it doc uh it's, there's been some really great i hope really i think it's one i'm on but i'm on so many lists i i, I haven't yeah. I, I, maybe i'm wrong um well, see if that, you that happens any, any messages from len kleinrock who is to me, one of the greatest uh, heroes. Oh, yeah, no, real legend. Total legend. Yeah. And he's like in his 90s and still sharp as a tack. There's another guy, uh, Dick Roy, who uh, did smart antennas, who explained how the thing really worked. It, the level of conversation is so much better than Reddit. And we're still in the dark uh, as to what how this stuff works. Um, I know that uh, I know that Starlink people are listening, but I don't think they're able to comment. So I, I look forward mm -hmm. to all I can do is just keep dumping good information out there about how much better their lower latency and, and higher performance and better sharing than ever could be if they adopted technologies like my project put together um, and, and hope that it magically appears one day and, and they bother to say, send a Christmas card, you know, um, it'd be great. Go ahead. Well, we'll, when we uh, tweet about this, um, We'll have a whole cascade of hashtags and we'll <laughs> point towards Starlink and some other yes. things. So, we will. so, and hopefully, yeah, Elon, uh, hopefully they'll one, listen, you know, I mean, yeah. it, Elon, it when can like, we have cake? When the game is over, I mean, can we have cake? Um, I would so love to see that happen. And I would settle for have your cake and low latency too. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay. Thanks again for having me on your show. And uh, I, I look that that day that something changes in Starlink's buffer bloat, I will call you up and say, "Let's talk." <laughs> okay, and and maybe if we don't lose again, we didn't win, we didn't lose in the ITF. Maybe we'll make some progress there. Um, and for everybody out there listening, you can improve your internet experience if you just get a router that runs OpenWRT and throw it in front of your current one, especially on DSL connections. Um, Everybody suffering at home. Go fix it for yourself. Fix it for a friend. And uh, <laughs> take 15 minutes out of your life to make your network better. You will never regret it. And again, do it for a friend. And a friend, do it for a friend with kids especially. And you know, send me a tweet back. I could use a little encouragement. That's awesome. Well, I think that, that's our newsletter. I think you think you just wrote our newsletter for us. Thanks for that. I think you did. I think we have a whole newsletter on this. <laughs> yeah, one. that's great. Yeah. Awesome. And speaking yeah. of kids, not to segue in a really awkward way, um, before we go, uh, I thought we might mention the latest Apple news that, of course, will be a week old by the time this goes out, but that's okay. And if you haven't seen it, check it out, but you probably already have that Apple has paused the rollout on their child safety features because apparently they're listening. And so credit where credit yeah. is due. After they, after they, they totally, just really effectively destroyed all their credibility in the privacy yeah. front. Oops. After working so hard to create that, um, now they're. I think they got the message. Yeah. After I think, a, I think nearly unanimous, uh, like negative response rebuke. from every expert yeah. in privacy and security <laughs> out there. Is amazing. 
But yeah. Well, so sometimes the biggest can can change. So. So that's yeah. There's hope. Okay. There's hope. Cool. Well, well thanks, on that Dave. note. Thanks Thank for you for joining us. Uh, and until next time. All right. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And uh, Astro for Astro. Do this for us. Thank you.